Hello, wherever you are in the world today, welcome to Beyond the Art in our series, The Stories That Carry Us. I'm your host, Craig Beaumont Flynn, a citizen of the Cherokee Nation and the Delaware Tribe of Indians. In each episode, we will discuss with various Native American artists, influencers, art leaders, and everyone in between their experiences, the communities they serve, and the translation and interpretation of the Native American art world today. Well, today we have Elias Jade, Not Afraid, a citizen of the Crow Nation and a bead and ledger artist. Welcome to the show, Elias. We're great to have, we're very excited to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your unique story? Well, uh, first of all, I, my name is Elias Jade, Not Afraid. I was born and raised on the Crow Indian Reservation in Montana. Uh, we lived out in the, we kind of grew up in a, in the country. So we grew up pretty isolated from everybody. Like our nearest neighbor was like a mile away. Um, but our, my grandparents were next to us. So it was, you know, pretty, pretty boring a lot of the time <laughs> during winter and stuff. So around the, when I was around like 12 years old, um, we were living in my great grandmother's house at the time. Her name is, uh, Joy Yellowtail. And she passed before I was even born. So I, I never uh, like had the pleasure of meeting her, but she had this huge influence on my life. Um, but by just growing up in that house, um, one winter when I was like 12 years old, um, you know, there was like blizzarding out, couldn't go out and play in this, like the snow. So uh, we just stayed inside a lot. And she, we had a lot of her stuff like in the attic and just kind of stashed around like, like file cabinets and like just different books and all her research material. And she had this, um, <clears throat> she had this, uh, cedar chest that was full of all these like beading supplies. And it had a couple of her, some of her old beadwork, but it was like not finished yet. So I just took it, grabbed one of the pair of leggings and like some needle and thread that were in there. And I just started taking apart like the leaves of the, the legging. And from there, I just kind of like basically taught myself how to do the two needle applique technique. And so I just randomly, like randomly would just be doing it when I was like a kid, like I wasn't fully invested in it. Like I am now. Right. Um, just over the years, I, I started to learn different beating techniques. And when I was in elementary school, they offered this, uh, curl culture class. And one of the classes was beading, which taught peyote stitch. And I was like one of the only guys that took the class. So, but I caught, like picked it up really quick. And so that was like my second. And then I, like from there, I just kind of like researched it, tried like figure it out and taught myself how to do these different beading techniques. Fast forward up until I was like uh, 15 years old, I wanted to like kind of venture out and do more like something else other than beating. I kind of got burnt out with it, just being a kid. Right. Um, and so I, I like taught myself how to do feather work. It's, I don't know if you know what that is, like with right. the towel bands and yeah. like peyote fans and stuff. It's not an easy um, uh, artist. So I just started messing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it took me like years and years to like actually create a project instead of just messing around with like feathers and stuff. And so 
I started doing that when I was 15 and then they offered a, a like this class on how to tie feathers. And so I already kind of had this like idea of how to do it. And then just looking at pictures from the internet and then growing up in Montana, like nobody knows how to do that stuff. So it was kind of like a Southern tribes thing. And so uh, a guy from down South came up and taught a class. So I took it and it kind of like helped me more on that. And so then later on uh, this, uh, this amazing fan artist, his name is um, Jess Williams. He, he's like known for all these uh, elaborate and creative like designs and colors of his fans. He makes. And he's probably like one of the best fan makers out there. Right. And he mentored me and showed me how to do stuff. And so, you know, like after that, I kind of got bored with that and I started beating again. <laughs> then fast forward up until 2000, like after high school, um, I didn't like after elementary school, I kind of got teased for beating just cause like I was the only guy that was beating like in that class. And so when I would leave the class, like I get out, like, you know, like, Oh, that only girls beat and stuff. So I just kind of kept it at home. I didn't like go to school and like sit there with all my beating stuff, like how I, you could do that today without getting, right. you know, teased for it. So I just stayed home and I would, like that was my little secret thing was I was beating up until high school around like my senior year. Um, they offered this beating course or like a, an elective class. And so I was like, all right, I'll do it. And there was like two other guys in there. So I was like pretty, it wasn't so like scary. So, but then right. once people found out that I was a beat artist, it just kind of like, everybody was like, Oh, that's so cool. Can you do this for me? Or like trying to, you know, make me do some commissions and stuff. And, uh, that my final year in, um, high school, I, my art teacher, his name was Mr. Alvarado, Hector Alvarado. And he brought up the, uh, Santa Fe Indian artist, Santa Fe art market, Indian art market. And he's like, never, have you ever heard of it? And I just said, no, just, you know, <laughs> we barely have internet. So <laughs> don't know anything about that yet. <laughs> and so, that kind of like just stuck in the back of my head. He just said, apply for it, just see how it goes. And at that time it was because of my ceramic, like I was doing a lot of pottery mm -hmm. in high school. And so he was like, you could do this and, you know, enter these into for the Santa Fe Indian art market. But that just always stuck in the back of my mind. So after high school, I moved from Montana down to Arizona for, to the Navajo reservation to white cone and was out there for about nearly 10 years. And there, like I was, <laughs> I kind of, um, like, I'm just gonna be truthful about the whole thing. Like, I'm not going to like lie or anything. Um, the reason why I left Montana was because I was like addicted to opiates at that time. And I went to rehab and when I got out, like I relapsed just because it was, you know, I was too comfortable with my surroundings. I knew people around me that had, you know, stuff. So mm -hmm. I relapsed and I admitted myself into rehab the second time, did the 90 day course. And then I just was like, any opportunity to leave this place, I'm just going to take it. So I'm not saying it was an opportunity, but just the circumstances of everything came together perfectly for me right. to leave. 
Well, you so had a like, self-realization that you needed to get out of your environment to make yourself well, I guess. And yeah, go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. So I, <laughs> no, I, and so I, I left and it was crazy. I was like, I'm gonna get off the reservation. Like I left multiple times before. Um, it's so crazy because the first uh, rehab center that I went to, I was, um, I just barely turned 18 and it was someplace in Council, Washington, way mm. in the middle of the mountains, like so secluded, like they even have self-service. It was like, you have to kind of go a little bit up the mountain more to get service, but it was wow. like dead zone thinking that this is a faith-based free treatment center. So I'm like, you know, just take it, get help. Um, I left the second day because the owner told me like, after I did my grace period or like just to detox, um, the second or third day I had a like one-on-one -on -one with the owner of the whole, uh, that whole organization there. And I was thinking that was going to be this, like, I was, wasn't expecting like the four seasons, but I was, you know, just, something that I can have a roof over my head and you right. know, something to eat. Um, third day, the guy got me alone and was talking to me and told me he was Jesus reincarnated. Yeah. I snuck my work phone in. They took my other phone, but my, my boss from my previous job, she let me keep my work phone. I don't like, thank God she did because other than that, there's no way of getting like, contacting out you have to wait three months in order to uh receive phone calls or anything so it was like wow. totally sketch from the beginning um so i called my mom with like one bar left i was like you need to get me out of here <laughs> like <laughs> and my phone was like dying so i just told her she's like you know you need to you know work this out you gotta work you know get yourself better <laughs> i was like this guy said he was jesus my phone died yeah. next day she got me out jeez <laughs> oh, <laughs> well so I, Wow. Yeah, it was like really crazy journey. But um fast forward up until White Cone, um like this was like my third starting over, I guess you would say. And I wasn't like on no medication like how they put me on in rehab and I just wanted a clean start, just you know, detoxify everything and just get it out of my system and just become, you know, like me. Mm -hmm. And so I started focusing on beadwork and if you know where White Cone, Arizona is out in um, the Navajo Res, it's just like middle of nowhere. And they have this gas station called Giants. And they had a copy of Native People's Art or Native Art, Native American Art Magazine, I think it was, or Native People's Art, one of them. Mm -hmm. And Jamie Okuma was on the cover. And it was like an article on her and the Native Fashion Now exhibit that was traveling at the time. And so I was like, you know, I picked it up and like started reading it on the way home, like saw what she did with her beadwork. And like, that was when she started like doing clothing, but I was like looking at her beadwork as far as how she used like these old cut beads and these like the old materials of like beading on buckskin. And that really inspired me to like do what she did just to see if like, if I could do it. So basically starting from like nothing, just went down to Arizona with like one suitcase, only had like a couple of hanks of beads and some thread and needles. And um, I started talking to her like after a year finding that magazine, just kind of like slowly interacting with her on Facebook and stuff. Um, and 
encouraged me to like, you know, apply for market and stuff. Cause I was like starting to do other things with my bead work, trying to like, I don't know, challenge myself more with it. Right. And so she helped me out a lot, like collecting like the beads themselves. Cause in order to do all this bead work, you're, you have to have all these beads and you can't just go down, you know, to a bead store and find like antique cut beads or vintage cut beads. So Correct. she sent me like tons and tons of beads just to kind of like help start me out. So and she then kind of men- mentored you then. Yeah. Um, then, well, yeah, it, it definitely was a mentor. Like I always call her, she is my mentor and like my best friend. Um, and so like, she told me like, <laughs> it's crazy. She was like, if you see beads that are in a certain color and you know, you can't find anywhere else and buy them all out because you're not going <laughs> to find it again. And she was like, did you uh, come across like certain like materials that, you know, that are really hard to find, like elk ivories or like shells. She was like, just, you know, get them because later on, like you can use that and it just like, you know, pays itself off. So I just kind of had that mentality since 2015, all the way up until now of like a huge majority of what I make just goes back into my supplies. And so from starting then, I like applied for Indian art market 2016 and I got accepted. It was pretty crazy because like I was kept getting hearing all these things about, you know, it's hard to get into Indian art market with um, like people like tried like 10, 13 times and they keep getting denied. And so I was like kind of hesitating and um so I applied for it and I got in, but what really sucked about it was Santa Fe Indian art market goes the same time as, um, the crow fair that's on our reservation back home. So, and that's all I've done. My, like my whole life was just go to crow fair every year. But that 2000 year in 2015, um, I was with my ex at the time and, his family came to Montana to camp with us and just kind of had that experience because they were, well, they're Navajo. So they've never experienced anything like Crow Fair. So Correct. they came up, you know, and they just were like being tourists basically, but um, <laughs> no drinking or any, like, you know, they they weren't like that, which was, that's why I really liked them. And, but I think the idea of like me having a boyfriend at my camp and their family my grandpa like built a horse corral in our area, uh-huh. like my camp spot, tore down, built a little thing, and then just started all this drama because uh-huh. of it. And so I basically got disowned by them. And so I was just like, you know, it's whatever. Just so I, I ended up didn't going to Crow Fair that year. So I was just like, saw the whole Santa Fe. It was crazy because I saw the Santa Fe, you know, the, what was it, like an email or something for the deadline for the mm-hmm. application. So I was just like, I'll just try this. And so <laughs> I attended it that year um, just as a spectator. And then the following year I applied for it. So when I got in, I, I did, as soon as I got my acceptance letter, I was just like, I need to start something and I need to do something big. So I did my, um, I called them my warrior woman cuffs and they were two pretty large uh beaded cuffs that were beaded on and lined with uh, Kevlar ballistic fabric 
I think there's like maybe seven or eight layers of it. I just kind of like kicked it on there and then some like thick alkyd on the back. And they were kind of almost like Bogarts, but they were supposed to be like bulletproof. Right. Um, and so kind of like Wonder Woman's and, cuffs. <laughs> yep. That's, I think that's, uh, it came out that year too. So it was kind of oh, really? <laughs> playing off that. <laughs> and then I did a, like a traditional men's style, like mirror bag and entered those in for Indian market and they both placed, um, which is great. Like me, I'm just new to the whole thing. I'm just like, Oh, that's cool. <laughs> like not even didn't care. <laughs> um, and then I got what inventory I had, um, I ended up selling out. So that's what kind of started everything as far as me being a full-time beat artist. So mm-hmm. from 2016, I've been a full-time beat artist. Well, I have to so, applaud yeah, you for realizing that you had an addiction and got self-help. I mean, you drove yourself to it. So that's commendable. A huge applaud to you. And it sounds like, you know, you're multifaceted. You do a lot of a range of everything from beads to ledger art to just being an artist of all a wide spectrum. What really drives you as an art, as an indigenous native American artist? Um, like I, it's crazy. Like I'm a, was like, I'm a hermit. Like I stay inside <laughs> a lot. So I don't really go outside and get all this inspiration as much like as I want to, but I just have like a, I don't know what you would call it, like a creative mind, I guess. I can just sit and create something new, like a new design, just one after the other, if I, mm-hmm. if I wanted to. Um, when I first started doing ledger art, I did 26 pieces, uh, 26 different, uh, geometric designs and they were all like different and different in color and stuff. So, um, as a beat artist, like I always have these ideas of stuff that I want to do, but you know, it takes all this time to do. So ledger art was like another outlet to kind of get that out. So using all these like photos that I would like, like screenshot off of the internet, or if I see something in a magazine or like while I'm at an airport, I'll just take a picture of it and use that as like a inspiration later. I'll just look at it and I'll like kind of think of something in my head and just kind of, basically see the image in my head and I'll just like jot down little notes or like scribble on like do this and like to construct it, you need to like do this, this and this first. So it's kind of like reverse engineering it in my head and then just putting it on paper. And I've used that kind of like method, just like my whole time beating since I've started beating. So do you pull from your Crow culture and heritage or do you do it more from a vast array of Native American artistry? It's mostly Crow. Yeah. Um, well, the base of everything that I do, like all the geometric designs are Crow. Um, I just study a lot of like old Crow beadwork stuff from museums. I'm so glad they have like these museum collections, like, that are virtual, like online. So you can like basically go into their virtual collections and see the items. Right. Um, and that helps me get an idea of the different types of designs that were used. And some of it has like the meaning attached to it. So, um, 
I'll do that. Or if I'm like in the area of a museum that does have a collection of pro beadwork, I'll like ask for permission to just go in and take pictures and do a little research. And, um, and same with my floral designs, like with the beadwork, like everything is like how my ancestors or like my great grandmother would have done it. Like the way she would bead on like smoked deer hide or using like these vintage uh, Venetian or antique Venetian pet beads in her work. So it's, I pull a lot of inspiration from her too. Yeah. Do you feel is an important factor of being a native American artist? Me? Well, for me personally, it's just sharing the knowledge of it. Like that's kind of what helps boost my platform or like my following, I guess on like Mm -hmm. social media is that I would share my beating techniques. I'll share like these little tips and tricks that I've learned over the years or I'll do tutorials, beating tutorials, how to, you know, if you're beating a graduation cap, um, this is how you do it. And I would just break it down into different steps and on how to do it. And that's kind of one of the first things of mine that like went viral, uh, viral, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how you just spread viral these days. <laughs> and so it got shared a lot. And a lot of people were like, you know, this is so cool. Just because, and the only reason why I put it out there is just because I, I got tired of getting asked to be graduation caps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, hey, you guys can do it yourself. Just teach yourself. From then, it just sharing like how I taught myself how to do the tinido applique, what worked for me, my designing process, how I pick my colors. Like, I'll just kind of post bits and pieces of it, like through my social media. So, do you mentor others now to? I learned your craft. I mean, you're kind of you're pretty much self-taught. I mean. from the sound of it, you're self-taught. You you found something and it inspired you to, to create and you went with it. So do you feel like there's a necessity being a Native American to kind of uh, extend the hand and teach others about your craft and mm-hmm. especially your culture and heritage? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely because like this is what's going to be my song. Like, the only way to keep true. culture alive is by sharing the knowledge and you know like you can't you can learn stuff from a book but like being taught it or like shown it or given examples of it or even just seeing it like in a museum like in the collections it like Mm -hmm. you know but it like like i it's i don't know i guess it just comes with it too because there's like a lot of like pressure that is put upon you too like <laughs> with it because right like not only am i representing like myself like i'm representing like my family like my tribe and then like on the wider scale like it's like native americans as a whole um like with some collaborations that i've done like, being the only native american on there um yeah it's a lot of pressure <laughs> like i didn't ask for it. i'm just like <laughs> Well, but, you, what you do, you do very well. So people are coming to you. So that's a, that's a good sign. But yeah, like sharing the well, uh, just sharing the information and how to basically do what I do and what worked with me to get me where I'm at is what I like to do. So I always put it on my social media. Like if you need help with something, just reach out and 
ask. Like, I'm not going to say, oh, I can't because it's a secret. Like, I learned how to teach myself how to do this, too. So it's like I can teach others. No one wants to know Elias's secret sauce. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) So what what do you think defines your work? Be it beadwork, ledger work, and so forth. Um, I, I would say my beadwork because I've been doing it since I was 12. Ledger art, I've been doing it since August of this past year. Okay. Like, I'm new to this whole, like, the ledger scene. Yeah. Um, like, I knew, I, well, doing my research in, like, these museums, I always came across pro ledger art. And I always just kind of, like, didn't you, like I always punch myself now because it's like, oh, I should have took pictures and I should have looked at that folder <laughs> or because on my way back home from Indian market this past year, um, I drove from Detroit to Santa Fe and then from Santa Fe to um, back home to Montana just to visit my family. And then from Montana to just went straight across to uh, Michigan and passed through like Wisconsin. And when I'm traveling, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) it's my only time of the year. I like have a break to do it. Cause other than that, like I'm just working all the time, (laughs) but um, it was on our way back. Like I'm always stopping at at these antique stores or uh, antique malls or trading posts just when I'm traveling. And I stopped at this one in, I thought I think it's called Hickston, Wisconsin or something. Mm-hmm. And they had a ledger book, an antique ledger book from like the late 1800s. And it was just like this. It was so cool, like just seeing it, it was like leather bound and everything, and like seeing the pages. I um, I was just like, oh shit, this is pretty cool. And then I started like looking more at ledger arts. So I like ended up buying the book or the ledger book, and like I have this. I, I have these addictive like characteristics still like like I replace my uh, like my addictions for other addictions right, but I try right. to do it like in, in a healthier way so like <laughs> I do it in a way of like collecting things so I or educating collect- yourself I guess yeah and I started collecting antique ledger books and so from from then until now, like not even being a full year, I think I collected over 200 antiques books. Wow. Not just the little, I'm trying to see if I have one, I'm always having them around me, but like some of those like really huge ones um, and then some like really small ones, but they're all within the United States and they're like dated from like, I think the earliest one I have is 18, 1817 and it's like a Hudson uh like along the Hudson River or Hudson something. Hmm. It just says Hudson on the top and then the right. date. Um, but yeah, and like I have some from like these like tobacco plantations, um, cotton factory or like these cotton um, plantations like in Texas. It's, I don't know, there's a lot of history in it too. Like I, th- I always thought that like it was really fascinating while I was like collecting them and trying to find different, like looking at the texture and like the script. And then I would like kind of come up with something to like draw on it or paint on it. And so, um, the reason, the only reason why I did that was because, or like I collected that extensively was because I was told by a ledger artist that it's hard to find ledger books or ledger paper that's antique. 
So if you find it, you know, like just stock up on it because you're going to need it later on down the line. Mm-hmm. Same thing with beads. Like I'll buy, I'll stock up on beads. Like if they have a certain color and I'll just hold on to them because later down the line, they're going to be worth something anyway. They're going to become vintage eventually. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just, it's just kind of like, um, like an investment, but then too, it's kind of like, uh, what would you say? Cause like eventually I'm going to pass this down to my nephew, like all my beads and stuff. Like, <clears throat> cause he's kind of getting interested in, like native art so oh, really? if good. anything it's gonna go go to him so or anybody in my family so i don't know i'm just i just like collecting <laughs> <laughs> but back you know to your question like i do define myself as a beat artist it's more than i would a ledger artist what is your process when you start creating is there a certain process that you have something in your head and you sketch it out first or do you just start going to work um yeah, actually, it's both. Um, when I was back home in Montana, just because it was, you know, pretty vast and everything, there was, like, space, you know, like, well, country drives and stuff. It's, like, really nice. I would do that. I would just go for a cruise, and I would just, like, you know, listen to music and stuff, and I would just, like, kind of think of different things, and, like, it's usually what I'm going to do for, like, Indian market. Like, what I'm, what's my entry piece going to be? So... I'll just like go, you know, drive around or I'll go for a hike or just sit at my table. But I'll think about it. I'll just think of like, okay, I want to do a mirror bag. Does it, am I going to add spikes onto it? Where would I add the spikes? Um, do I want to add ermine tail? Do I want to like cover the whole thing in ermine tail? Um, or the, like the whole thing in dentilium shell. So I'll just kind of like play with different ideas in my head and then it like forms. Right. <laughs> and so. I'll just start jotting them down. I have my little sketchbooks all around me here somewhere. I just cleaned up too, so it's been my way. But yeah, like I just will sketch random stuff like on everything. Um, and then I'll, I won't even like look at, think of the design or the color. I'll just think of what the item is. So like say I'm going to think of, I'll be doing a, a bag. Mm-hmm. Then I'll think of what kind of bag, what kind of, I'll like try to think of it like in a 3D way. Then add like different elements to it. I don't know. It sounds stupid, but then I'll see like the final product and then I'll just like whatever I have at the moment, I'll just like scribble it out and like draw a, uh, like a little rough draft of it. And then just write down key, like little key notes that I need, to, you know, to remember later on. Cause if I don't, I'm, I'm going to forget it. Um, and then I'll just go from there. And so usually with the project commission or whatever, I just come up with the design, the, I come up with the colors on the spot. So it's not like I, ha- like if I plan it out, it takes forever. But if I just mm-hmm. sit and get it started, like it, like this is a perfect example for a pouch. I just have a blank, um, I see it, with yeah. a geometric pattern and uh-huh. I have it like cross section. So all I have to do is just start beating it. Like I won't, draw the design anything i'll just kind of fill it in as i go your mind and your fingers start to work (laughs) yeah (laughs) and i'm like a perfectionist and i freaking hate it because i have like it has to be a certain way or it has to mirror perfectly and if it doesn't then i'll just rip the whole thing apart 
but I'll like record it and I'll put it on like social media and people are like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, but I've yeah, seen some of your work uh, on social media and it, it's, and it's beautiful, very intricate and very <laughs> colorful and very beautiful. So I think I may need some at some point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, is there anything that you try to achieve in your goal when you're creating your artwork? Um, well, I'm, I'm always like trying to like strive to be better with what I do or like challenge mm -hmm. myself more. Yeah. It's just to basically work more with like micro beads, do different projects. I haven't started yet that are a little bit more complex, like portrait style beading. Mm -hmm. That's the one that I'm kind of slowly experimenting with because that within itself is a whole nother learning experience. Like, trying to create these realistic photos using beads. So that's something that I want to like, that I'm starting to do like work with and practice with. Um, and then like, I tried to learn, like I've learned all the beading techniques that are basically on YouTube or different books, but last year, well, not last year, like two years ago, well, no, I was actually right before the pandemic. Um, there was a, I was a part of this exhibit at the Field Museum in Chicago. It was called the Uppsala Gala Women's and Warriors uh, exhibit. And it was just kind of like told the story of like us as Crow people from then until now. And while I was in their collections, well, um, like just looking at the different beadwork, because we're like had days where we could just a whole day of just browsing through stuff and then i came across three different types of beading techniques that nobody does anymore that kind of died out along that time probably in that time frame when they received like bought those those items but what was really cool about it was they weren't finished yet like a lot of the items weren't finished so for me it was like a little screenshot in the process on how to do it because i was able to kind of like pull the string back and just see how they tied it or tacked it down or how they basically did that technique. So I just used my phone, recorded it, did videos of it, um, took different pictures. And as soon as I got home, I just sat there with my materials and I just tried to replicate it to the way it was, how it looked and not just, you know, tack it here and there to make it right. look like it did. I wanted to know the actual technique. And I figured it out, all three of them, within that same day. So, um, and then I started practicing on other stuff just to see if it kind of looks similar. And it it started to look similar. So I was like, okay, I think I figured it out. So <laughs> I just did a little tutorial of it. And then I just kind of like put it out on the internet and just, I don't know, just because it was a lost technique. And, right. you know, now we can still use it. So that's the kind of stuff that I like to try to better myself at. So have you ever surprised yourself as an artist in, in something that you've created? It's like, wow, I did that <laughs> all the time. <laughs> really? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> yes. All the time. Everything I do, it's like an experiment. I don't, it's like I go out on a limb on it or mm -hmm. like I'll use my best materials. And I'm like, Oh my God, if I mess this up, it's totally trash. Um, for instance, the 
the cake that I did for Indian market last year and I had over, geez, what was it? I think it was like four or 500 ermine tails that were on the back of the cape. The front had two and a quarter inch dentilium shells that lined the top and then just elk ivories. And then mm. they had spikes on the sides. And that was just, I was just, I, it started out as a rough draft and then I was going to use that as a template for the actual product, but like the finished product, but I ended up using the same thing. So that's how a lot of times it starts out is it'll be a, an experiment. And it, once I finished it, I'm just like, Oh shit, this came out really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Given that piece, cause I've seen an image of that piece. Has there been a piece that you were surprised at the response and our reaction to? Yes. Um, the one, uh, the one that I always get like the most compliments and talk about, I guess, is my uh, cradle board. That was uh, a really big project that I wanted to do for like so many years. Like since I was in like, like high school, I've always wanted to do a crow style cradle board just because it involves, it's like a lot of beadwork and it's unique from all the different types of cradle boards that are already out there, like in different tribes. And so 2018 or 19, um, I just, I was just like, I just, I'll just do it or at least get the template started. So I just went ahead and did it instead of just thinking about it. I was just like, oh, I got to do something. I at least get it started, take that first step. So I just did the outline of the headboard and then I was like, okay. And then I like the inspiration, like I just got more motivated to do it. So I just started, you know, working more on the design and then ended up having it already on the stencil and already on the smoke tide ready to bead. And so it kind of, that's kind of like how my creation creative process is too. It's just right. like super spontaneous or I'll start a project just randomly, put it away for a couple of years and like, Oh, Hey, look at this and redo something with it. What I initially intended to do with it, but that cradle board, um, I wanted to make it different than any other crow cradle boards. Cause usually it's just beaded all the way beaded. The, it has six straps that holds the baby in and everything's beaded. So, what I did different was, well, I did the headboard traditional crow style, use the same type of beads that my like ancestors did back in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to keep all those materials like they did back then, like the, from that same time period. So I used a lot of my really good cut beads. Um, and then once from downward, like it's, I put like a beaded, you know, outline on the, the straps, but I put elk ivories in and I put oh, like a hundred, 100 pairs of bull elk ivory. Wow. So, and they were all matching sets too. So the matching sets are, are opposite to each other. I measured and it's crazy. Like the amount of time it takes the sizing to the <laughs> coloring, to the shape, like they were all mirrored to reflect like you know to make it look perfect in my eyes i guess and then um 
I bought a one of those silicone babies that look realistic. <laughs> <laughs> and so I wrapped it in like one of my scarves and threw it in there. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't finished yet. So I, but I entered it in an Indian market. This was when we were able to come back from like, you know, the pandemic after they mm-hmm. did the virtual Indian market. It was the first time we were able to do market. Um, so, you know, I entered that in and it didn't place or anything because I wasn't even finished with it. Like I was sitting there sewing it while I was filling out my paper form, paperwork, you know. Um, and I had the Smithsonian interested in purchasing it because um, they came up to me that next morning and they're like, if you don't sell it by the end of, you know, market and whatnot, just let us know and we'll, we'll buy it. And so I was like, all right, cool. And, but it wasn't finished. So, well, that's a huge, I was like, huge recognition. <laughs> it gets better. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and so I held on to, it. I didn't work on it or anything just because like, to be honest, like their process is super slow. Like usually museums are super slow, like it just right. takes forever for, them for like the new payments and shit. But with the Smithsonian, crazy story really quick. Uh, I sold a piece to them. Those Kevlar clubs that I talked about in the beginning, um, I sold them to them. Or no, I sold a purse to them. It was like, um, but because it's a federal institution, it like goes through these different filters before it goes to you. So I attended college, dropped out. I took out a loan. That loan didn't pay anything on it. I just was like, whatever. Like I had literally no financial <laughs> anything like that. Um, like any knowledge of how to like do this and that like save your money and pay off these loans or do this and that or else the picture's credit score so that came and bit me in the ass because uh, my payment for that item from the Smithsonian the education department took it and so thank you for your payment oh. of X amount of dollars went towards paying off your student loan oh. <laughs> so I just took that L and I was just like I was, I was mad about it for a day but I was like whatever but um Hey, you still so sold a piece living, to Sismonian, so. Yeah, that was very cool. So that was like in the back of my head. And I, you know, the herd market was coming up. I didn't sign no paperwork with the Smithsonian yet. Like they sent me paperwork, but I was just kind of like, they wanted me to do all this shit for them. And it was like, it was just too much. So I was just like, maybe. <laughs> just if I can't do it at the sell it at the herd. And by that time, I finished the cradle board i ended up adding over 80 bull ermine tails on the back of the headboard between the space of well you know the empty space where the baby lays right right but there weren't like just regular like just ermine tails like like you know suspended there i put them inside of a bullet shell casing and made a little tassel out of it or like a little cone with the, so it'd be okay. like the bullet shell. Oh, and then cool. it has a, uh, it was a nine, nine millimeter shell. So it was like you know, a little short shell and then have the mm-hmm. ermine tail. So I put those on the back of the headboard right below the bead, beaded part. And so I entered that in for the herd market that following year. And um, I ended up winning best in classification. I took first place. I got an innovation award. There's this other award that I got. I can't remember what it was. Um, and after the best of show, like that first where they do the viewing of who won what. And then the next day is the market. After we left from the uh, best of show, 
<laughs> best of show ceremony, I was, I got a call on Instagram of all things. And I was going back to my Airbnb. I was just like tired out and wanting to go to bed. Um, and it was the late, I was a curator for the, uh, for the Met in New York city, Patricia Norby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. And so she was like, Hi, my name is Patricia Norby. I'm one of the curators for the Met in New York, the Metropolitan Museum in New York. And we want to purchase your cradle board. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I was like, wait, like, are you for real? And she was like, (laughs) yeah, do you want to do a bit? Do you want to bid? Do you want to video chat now? And I was like, oh shit. I was like, oh, I believe you. Um, (laughs) She's like, yeah, so. She said, but she was like, so what are you asking for it? And like, I saw these other details. And so like, I, I let her know. And she was like, okay. She said, I'm going to take this and, or put what she said, and I'm going to like give it to my higher ups. And she said, it's kind of like a process. So you'll be hearing back with, from us from like within a month or two, if you do not sell it, mm-hmm. um, to get the approval of, or to get their approval to buy it as a guaranteed thing. And she said, so it might take that long. So just expect that. And I was like, oh shit, okay. Um, and then I got a call back 15 minutes later and she said, they all approved it. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, <laughs> and she said, yeah. So she said, Fast so process. we, we're gonna, <laughs> we want the cradle board. So I was like, okay, <laughs> I got to call the Smithsonian and tell them I can't. <laughs> but, um, so that was really, that just surprised the shit out of me. And when I got, um, I had other pieces there too, and they all went to museums and that's kind of like a little goal that I wanted. Well, I mean, just selling a piece in general, like is a blessing, but, um, for them to go to a museum or an institution like that, it's, it's something I wouldn't have expected or even like tried as a goal to do. Like that Hmm. was like, out of my realm of uh, accomplishing something uh, like, you know, having something in the Met, but um, that was like, I've had all these other collaborations within the past four or five, uh, four or five years. Yeah. That I've been just phenomenal. And it's like, a lot of times I'm just like, Holy shit, that really happened. <laughs> or, you know, like, <laughs> cause I'm not one to like celebrate or I'm not one to like, go out and just throw this big old party like celebrating this and that I'm just like oh that's cool and then I'll just start working on the next thing well those are two huge uh, recognitions I would say (laughs) the Smithsonian (laughs) and the Met uh, to want your pieces of work so congratulations to you on that so were you surprised at the response then I mean given that Mm -hmm. You know, you haven't been doing this for 40 years or something. You're still fairly young. And was it something that you thought, oh, well, this is going to be recognized. This is my my huge piece to save the world. I'm a, a beat artist. Or, Well, it kind of started earlier before then. Um, 2016, after my first market and then my first, like, my first ribbons and stuff like i wasn't even thinking about the ribbons or the competition or any of that shit i was just thinking more of like selling my pieces and getting home (laughs) (laughs) paying my phone bill um 
and from then on like and i just made that my focus like to just focus on the art focus on bettering like the skill or my technique or whatever and not be so like driven just upon money Mm -hmm. um and so 2016 after that first indian market i got um my first interview was, was with the powwows.com. They did a little article on me and it was because that same year, like maybe a couple days after uh, Indian market taboo from the black eyed peas, he got one of my beaded cuffs and I'm, this is when I was just barely starting my beating, you know, taking it, being a full-time beat artist. Right. And it was the first time I'm using I wasn't using like rhinestones or stuff like that, like really sparkly, gaudy shit. Sorry for my language. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> after Taboo got that, it kind of like spread really quick. Then that they did that article, and then after that, I did a collaboration with uh, Crate and Barrel. Well, at the time it was called Land of Nod. It was like the child, children's version of Crate and Barrel. But it later merged into Crate and Barrel as a whole, um, Crate and Kids or something like that. But I designed two area rugs for them using large beaded pieces that I've done. And I sent them over to them, to their headquarters, and then they would like send me all this, like going back and forth, like the design and how it would look like on a carpet and mm-hmm. that material and how to like manipulate the beadwork and the color. And so um, it ended up because I was with the group that was a part of this collaboration too. I don't want to name their names. Um, and out of this whole group, like, cause everybody submitted stuff and I only had two pieces and that was for the rugs. And my, they only picked seven out of like 30 some. And so I was just like, Holy shit, you know, like they want to do my rugs. And so I didn't <laughs> think it was serious or anything until I actually saw the rugs. It, at the Crane Barrel in Scott Salvation Square. And that was in 2018 when they finally had it out. And uh, from after that, I did this uh, collaboration. Well, it was kind of like almost like, a, I guess you could say it was like a contest. But I received this email from some random person. They were like, hi, we're doing this art competition thing to design our for to win something for a design, your design or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was only for native Americans. And like, you had to fill out this little application and I, I seen it like a couple of days before. And then for something like one of my drives, I was like, when was the like expiration on that? You know, when they needed that information. <laughs> so I looked at it and it was that same day. So I just pulled over somewhere like between uh Tisto and um, what was it? Delcon, Arizona, just the middle of the desert. Right. I just sat there and I filled out that application and just put what I, you know, like what I do and where, where I came, you know, came from and how I learned. My craft. And then I got another email where it was like, we want to do a zoom meeting with you and do, you know, ask you some more questions. And so I was like, okay. So I get on there and they started asking me more questions and there was like, like eight or 10 people on the zoom. So it was kind of like really intimidating they didn't tell me what it was for. They were just like, ask me all these questions. And they, it was like all these different rounds. And then like the fourth round, I would say they finally 
let us know. They're like, we're Wells Fargo is looking for, I think it was five native artists from all different areas around North America to design a bank card for them for the next six years. And we're down to the, to the top 10 fine are the top 10 artists. And they're like, we went from 500 artists down to 10. Wow. And they were like, you're one of the top 10. So now, um, we can let you know what the project is and, uh, this is there. And so I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> I was like intimidated by it. I was like, I know I'm not going to get this shit, but then I was like, <laughs> oh, I want to get this. So I just started thinking positive about it. And here, um, I got a call when was it in May, some, some around time, like 2018 or 19. And they're like, well, congratulations. You got picked. You're one of the artists who gets to like represent the plains area, um, you know, the North American native tribes mm-hmm. and to design a, uh, um, for us. And here's the catch. So we need the art piece within two weeks. And so all the other artists that, that they picked uh, were painters, uh, textile artists and, I'm a beat artist and you know, my stuff takes forever. And so they're like, just do something that replicates the feature of your craft or like your guys's art form, the work you want to use or the medium and you know, something that like looks towards the future. And so I did this, um, this design, this is a, it's an old card. So the card numbers don't work <laughs> and it has, um, the design that I beat it. And it was just a crow geometric design with incorporated with the crow floral designs into one. Cause I'd never seen it. I mean, I'd seen it before, but it wasn't, it's not too common. So I tried to like, want to bring that, I guess. And so I beat it that whole thing. And it was the size of a sheet of paper. I did that within less than two weeks. Like my wrists were tore up and, um, so yeah, like then it came out and they, um, so these are available on Wells Fargo. Like if you go to their card, like you get a new card, you just go into the art gallery and then it has like a native artist gallery and then it's just located in there. And then you'll be able to choose so, it from there. Fantastic. And then they're going to, um, do a museum exhibit. I think either, I think it's next year, but with the pandemic, it kind of just messed everything up. Cause right. With the launch of this, they were supposed to have an exhibit at some New York museum, a museum in New York. They didn't tell us what it was at the time because it was supposed to be a surprise, but it was supposed to be curated around these pieces. So that's still coming. That was crazy. I was like, damn, this is like the, you know, the top I'll ever get to this in my career. Um, let's see. That was 2018, 2019. <laughs> Okay, it's 2019 to 2020. I did. What was it? I think that's when, like, I like had these multiple publications, like just different magazines, and then um, I got a uh, did a photo shoot with Vogue magazine for their what was it? The 2021 February February 2021. United States of Fashion um, Vogue magazine. That, that's what it was called. Mm-hmm. And they went and picked a designer from 
each state of, you know, around the United States and highlighted them <laughs> in the actual maze, like in print. And so my section was the centerfold of it. So like it had, I was wearing my, um, my Pendleton jacket and, uh, wearing my beadwork and they gave the option and they flew a photographer from, she came from, but she flew out to Montana for two days to do a photo shoot with me in different areas, like at my mm. house and stuff. And they gave the option of, you know, photographing with family and friends. And I just reached out to some of my friends that were like other beat artists that were in Lodgegrass or Crow, like just within my community that I've looked up to and, you know, like kind of learned from them right. and just included them with, you know, with me on that photo shoot. So I just, you know, called them. I was like, Hey, just get all dressed up in your stuff and come out to my house. And <laughs> I didn't what? tell them what it was for. <laughs> and so they came out and yeah, it just, I guess it like, they really liked it because um the feedback that I got from Vogue was that, you know, they picked out the centerfold, like, you know, who <laughs> I don't want to say, right. like, Panama tour. Um, and then they came out with a book later on. It was called, you know, the United States of Fashion. I should have actually just had it right here so I could have showed you. But um, they used our photo on the cover. There's like a collage of photos on there, but ours was on the cover. And then they had like a two or three page spread on like me. And that was, I thought was going to be at the top of my, you know, with my career, my art career. Then I started collaborating, doing these exhibits with, museums both here in the united states and then in canada um mm -hmm. the, there's a couple of them that are up in canada one at the mckenzie gallery called radical stitches it's still going on right now actually it's like the second or third uh museum tour i, I don't know what the hell it's called but it's been out there for a while and those those kevlar cups are in that exhibit so i thought that would be like you know the top of my art career um and then, God, what else came? Then I got a, uh, did a collaboration with Manitoba Mucklucks and designed the six or seven pair of boots for them, like the outside and then like the bottom of the sole of the shoe. So it was mm -hmm. like a beaded floral print that I did. Um, and what was really crazy about that was Nordstrom carry two pairs of them in their stores really both in canada and the united states um i found out i was just like googling something about in canada and i came across like nordstrom takes uh native american owned uh boots and shoes in their stores and two of my boots happened to be in there <laughs> like they didn't even tell me or anything i was just like oh shit and so there's like all these different articles that came out on that. So I was like, wow, you know, like <laughs> this is the top of my career <laughs> that I thought it was. Um, it just keeps on going and, then, and going and, and going. Just, yeah, it's just crazy. <laughs> then, you know, 2021, 20, yeah, 2001 or 22, um, when I sold my cradle board to the Met, that was probably one of my biggest things. And then the, 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 that same year, the beginning of that year, well, last year, um, 
I got in contact by the NFL and they wanted to do a collaboration on this project called NFL Origins, where they highlight four local artists within that area where they host the Super Bowl and collaborate with them to design merchandise for the for the following Super Bowl. Hence so the sweatshirt that you're wearing at the moment that I see. Yeah. <laughs> and it was based off ledger art too. Yeah, so they um I just I like received an email from some lady or a couple of ladies from from the NFL. I thought it was a joke or you know, just sort of scamping on, you know, the email. <laughs> you're constantly surprised by these phone calls. <laughs> yes. And so they're like, We want to do a Zoom meeting with you and talk to you about and something and I was like, All right, cool. And they're like, um, so like they're hosting uh, the whole, uh, Super Bowl Fifty Seven in Phoenix this year, and we want our like next year that was the year mm-hmm. ago when they called, and we want to collaborate with you to be a part of this as one of the four designers featured in the like NFL Origins, and then they went into detail on what it what it was, and so I was just like. <sighs> Oh, can you not say no to this? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was like, and so I was like, all right, cool, I'll do it. And I don't know, it was just like, I, don't, I didn't really sit in until like maybe when I flew down to Phoenix that it was like, then it hit and I was like, oh shit, this is actually real. Um, or no, it was like for when I did the filming for the their video for it. Um, because I, moved out of Arizona like around that time they called me um you know they were still willing to work with me because my business started there that's mm-hmm. where I you know the foundation of everything I've done was in Arizona and so I was, they were like you know we want we really want you to be a part of this because you know we want you to tell your story and this and that so it was like this process that took a year and then until a week before Super Bowl, I full had to fly down to Phoenix to do like the promo video for, you know, all the advertisement and stuff. And I wanted, I asked the herd museum if I could do it over there just cause it's like the herd market was coming up that like that next month. And I was a part, I was, gonna attend it at, or be a part of the market then but i ended up dropping out just because i was over like worked with too much <laughs> trying to relax from after all that but um so i filmed it over there and then um a week later flew down there for the super bowl you know like to do our our whole event and yeah it was just so crazy and i don't know we were, it was just one of those things, it was just like, <laughs> did this really just happen? <laughs> and a lifetime yeah, so achieve- it, amount of achievements in a small amount of time for you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It, I really don't like think about it too much. I'm just because I'm always just working and stuff. Right. Um, but like, I don't know. It's just crazy. <laughs> I never like <laughs> think this would happen to me. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, it's good because you're humble about it and it grounds you to keep on working and try to achieve more and achieve more and and build upon your career and your artistry. So, you know, that's 
That's a good thing. You know, I mean, great achievements to have Vogue and NFL to reach out to you. <laughs> so anytime you get a call, do you still go like, is this a joke? <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll be like, oh, really? Who is this? And then I'll be like, I'll ask, like, who are they are and, like, what do they do for their company or whatnot? And if they go on this, like, oh, I do, I'm an HR person. And if they're like that, and I'm like, okay, this is real. But if it's like, we are just collecting payment or something, then I'm just like, yeah, this is a scam. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, is there a message or something that you want people to know about you that's important uh, oh. about you as a, as a person, but also as a Native American artist? If someone came across your name, it's like, who is this chap? You know, he says he's a, a citizen of the Crow Nation, but who is he? What does he do? You know, what what do you want people to know about you that's an important factor as a person, but also as a Native American artist? Um, well, I am an openly gay Native American. Um, I think that catches people by surprise sometimes, but then too, it's like, shouldn't. <laughs> um, and I'm pretty open about that just because, like, I came out at an early age just because I seen the way people grew up on the reservation just you know, holding on to their secret for dear life to, right. to their grave. And it was just like, I didn't want to live like that. They didn't seem like they were happy. They just seemed miserable as hell. <laughs> so when I graduated, turned 18 or like I turned 18, not too long after. And then I graduated from high school. Um, I came out and was just like, if y'all reject me, I'm leaving. <laughs> and so, but it wasn't, hmm, how do I say that? They were okay with it. They didn't accept it. And let me, so... Let me ask you this. Do you think the Crow Nation is more accepting, given that two spirits are part of almost all Native American cultures before Christianity? And I don't want to get too much on a political or a religious thing. But do you mm. think it, it's changed, uh, that perspective? Because, I mean, oh, you know, yeah. it's two spirit was an important element of our culture um, mm. prior to first contact. And now, you know, with everything else, it's kind of looked upon oh. as, well, it really isn't part of our culture, but it always has been. It, yeah. What's crazy is I used to, well, I grew up in a Pentecostal household, like my whole family's Pentecostal. Like, just like my, grand, my grandma is just God. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> we have to go to church with her all the time. And so like once I kind of got older and, you know, became uh, more comfortable with myself and like they didn't like it at the church I went to, they kind of ostracized me, kind of made me feel weird, mm -hmm. always trying to cast a demon out of me and shit. It was just like <laughs> irritating. And I'm just like the coolest person there. I'm like respectful for everybody. Like I'm not like, you know, being loud or whatever. Right. But because of that only fact that, you know, me being having the like, you know, feminine whatever or just them talking about it, I just was like, I don't want to be a part of this. It's toxic. So I went to a different church and thought it was something more accepting. It was supposed to be more accepting, but it turned it out there's just a lot of homophobic uh like undertones on stuff and it was just I was just like, I'm not doing this shit no more. And so as soon as I stepped away from it, I started to see it. I started to see all the homophobic, like, on how bad it is. From reading about it, like, you know, back then to the, like, pre, 
from when Christianity came to our reservation, um, they, you know, as you said, like everybody was really accepting of um, two-spirited people. A lot of them were like warriors. A lot of them led these horse um, raids or they would, um, what, what are these other, they're like so many different achievements, like medicine men. Mm-hmm. Um, but after, you know, church and they came in and all that demonized uh, two-spirit and basically just, you know, anybody that does is going to hell. And right. that's how my grandmother thinks. And, you know, it's the way she is. I can't change her. I'm not going to change her. So I just keep people like that at arm's length. I don't engage in it. I'm just like, I don't need that drama. Um, but yeah, like with, I started to notice it a lot as moving away from home too, because a lot of times there's a lot of like suicides on our reservation. A lot of times they're, they're gay kids mm-hmm. that are either they get kicked out or they get teased from their parents. Um, what was another something that was, yeah, just all that people like the peers change on them. Like, don't you think that your friends are there for you? And then you say, Oh, I'm gay. And then they some pain all this or something right. like that. So they commit suicide, <laughs> but they don't talk about it. It's not a topic of like discussion in our tribe. Everything is so like based upon like money and trying to get jobs and stuff like that. When it's like their priorities are totally over here when, you know, we have all this stuff that we need to like deal with now, like all this generational trauma, people need to like start going to not treatment, but they need to get some like, you know, see counseling and stuff. And right you know, just basically surrender to that process and deal with their shit. So that way they can better themselves. Like it's because it's possible. Like, like shit, I was doing fentanyl for, I don't know how many years and I just stopped like, you know, but it's, it's doable. It is doable, but we went on a a different path, (laughs) (laughs) which is good. You know, Hey, you never gotta open the door and talk about everything. Um, yeah, it's just a lot of stuff never gets yeah. talked about. It's just it, it's you know, I think that but, our culture was um, pillaged as well. Uh, besides, you know, all the other things that happened to the Native American people as a whole, that our culture and the importance of our culture and our heritage was uh, dismissed and torn apart, and I think we need to really look at ourselves internally and be retrospective of who we are because we need to continue that story. And part of the story Mm -hmm. is, you know, two spirit people and the good and the bad of what's happened to us, but we have to live and and grow and move forward. Yeah. So that's something like as an artist, I'm like on my social media or like when I'm at markets and stuff, like I don't bring enough, like I don't bring that up. I don't bring politics. I don't bring, any of that, like, because when I'm at these markets or on my social media, it's about art. It's strictly about art. Um, and I've seen how, you know, some people will go into activism and, like, for me, like, I'm, I'm an artist, so, like, that's my main focus. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's always something I've just tried to keep on my social media is just, you know, if I'm talking about something, it's going to just be art related. But if it's like personal stuff, it's not going to be like this, this is happening to me or you right. know, so-and-so is fighting me. 
So I just, you know, save that for another, you know, for like family and friends, <laughs> but I, I got to keep it. That's a part of you as an artist. Yeah. It's your own personal story. And some people bring that into their art and some people don't, they separate it. Um, yeah. So what, what is it to go back to my original question? What do you want people to understand or know about you as a native American artist? Just that nothing's impossible that if you put your mind to it and just work hard, that you can like achieve anything. Like that's just, I don't know. I just try to like prove that or show that mm -hmm. and, like, I don't know with what I do, but cause yeah, it's just, um, I just want to leave that, you know, like, how do you say that? Um, like my legacy to be is like, you know, I wanted to teach people or just share knowledge. I wanted it to be like, uh, someone that you could ask, you know, more questions about the work and not have, you know, everything being so secretive. And it's just, I have. <laughs> Well, Elias, your work is beautiful and extraordinary, and I hope that you have more and more amazing achievements throughout your career. <laughs> People keep on calling you. <laughs> Don't hang up on them. <laughs> Check those emails. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, any last words of comments or wisdom you want to share with us? If you want to learn something, do it. <laughs> hey, that's like, a good one. Yeah, just... If you can't, like, if nobody wants to show you how to do it, then just, you know, teach yourself. It's, it's in this day and age, you can teach yourself to do anything with like YouTube and stuff. I taught myself how to sew and do all this other stuff with it. So it's like, if you really want something, you know, in life, it's, it's there. Like we all have these same opportunities, but you know, sometimes it's others have, you know, a better opportunity than others, but you know, yeah. we can all work to that same opportunity and it's yeah keep it's growing and keep being your brain yep so lastly uh are you, there any other exhibits or shows that you're going to be attending in the next coming months or places where people can see you and buy your pieces mm -hmm. uh just the santa fe indian art market this year okay i've kind of just wanted to focus on that. Fantastic. Well, Elias, this has been an exceptional pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And best of luck to you. And we will talk to you soon. Awesome. All right. Talk thank you. you.